0: to develop and really focus on the success of the Appalachian region creates success for all of Tennessee. And so we want to make sure that our, our cohorts consist of a, a diversity of members, so we're pulling from all regions and all geography.
1: Appalachian Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. Appalachia meets world. We are back. It's Will
2: and Neil.
1: Another episode.
2: Yes, sir. I don't know what number this is, but things are rocking. <laughs> and I just enjoy talking to you on a on a routine basis. You know.
1: I know it's kind of nice, right?
2: Yeah. You know, it's kind of the original reason why we started this, and it's been good just to catch up.
1: When you have to make time,
2: yeah, it's a little
1: easier, you know.
2: A- absolutely. <laughs> What's happening in the in the boroughs just busy no,
1: normal stuff that we usually talk about <laughs> do you think
2: I, we're an anomaly or do you think like all of our listeners are running this rat race too well i can probably
1: guarantee all the listeners are running the same
2: you think so i mean we got some at different stages of life probably where as intense as our daily grind no but
1: it, but it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in you think it's intense you know what that's I mean? a
2: great that's a great point, whether you're retired you're, or in, you're grinding or you're in you school still,
1: or you're on spring break i mean <laughs> you, you always think that you're you're super busy and
2: yeah that's that's so true I guess everybody just gets engulfed with self you know nothing nothing's more important than self, you know sometimes we can put self ahead of everything else and uh lose lose uh, perspective i guess.
1: Well said, man. I know we talked about last week naming an app biz every episode. Mm-hmm. I think maybe we should kick off the show every week with, with that Appalachian business.
2: I like it. There you yeah. got
1: This week, since it's our inaugural app biz, I wanted to yep,
2: dome, talk
1: about a little business that we grew up with that's still kicking, that is special to us.
2: Druthers closed, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I do love me
1: some druthers You know, there's one Druthers, yeah, still live. It's in Campbellsville.
2: Yeah, I did know that. That's crazy. I might go tomorrow. We need to check that out. But the app business,
1: this is an incredible business. It's been around. I don't even know how many years it's been around. At least, gosh, it's got to be going on 50 or, or more. But if you're traveling down US 25E heading into Pineville, or let's say heading out of Pineville towards Corbin, you'll run across a little place on the left-hand side of the road. It's called Ingalls drive Oh, and, yeah. And it's actually not a drive-in, but they call it Ingalls Drive-In. But I swear this little place, if you've never been, if you're driving down 25E, stop. Because it has the best hamburgers, cheeseburgers, hot dogs. Hot
2: dogs. Milkshakes
1: that I've ever had. <laughs> and, I mean, yes, it's a little nostalgic for, for both of us, but it's still one of those spots that when you eat it, you don't forget. You know what I mean?
2: Hey, man, if we have listeners that hadn't ate at Ingles, shame on you. You know, absolutely. Get, get, your, get your butt up to Ingles. I mean, they've only been in business for like 300 years. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But if you're driving by and you see it, US 25E, just outside of the Pineville, just when you pass the flood walls, as everyone knows about the flood walls, Ingles driving. Check it out.
2: Yes, sir. I like it.
1: I also saw, now that we got the app biz out of the way, did you see they passed the infrastructure bill?
2: Saw that, man. I
1: think that'll be good yeah. for Appalachia if, if it's done the right way.
2: Yeah, if uh, appropriated the right way, it will be very good. You know, when politics get involved, some things... Some things get shaky, but my hope is that eastern Kentucky will greatly benefit from it. All of Appalachia, yeah, yeah, but especially eastern Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> I, know I know you're a
1: little biased, but all just, of Appalachia yeah, will man. definitely benefit from this bill. It's obviously some major funds, but the, but it's you know its focus is on a lot of the areas that you know Appalachia could definitely benefit from.
2: For sure, <clears throat> should be a positive thing. Well,
1: and speaking of funding Appalachia, I want to mention that. The Appalachian Regional Commission not too long ago came out with their newly revised strategic plan. It's called Appalachian Envision: a New Era of Opportunity. The five goals are building Appalachian businesses, two, building Appalachian's workforce ecosystem, three, building Appalachian's infrastructure. The fourth is building regional culture and to- tourism. But the fifth one I wanted to point out is one of the more important ones, especially for this episode, building community leaders and capacity. That's a major goal that's important for this plan, but for Appalachia in general. And One of the points is to develop and support and empower community leaders that are representatives of local communities. And I just want to point that out because of this episode. It's kind of in line exactly what we're talking about on this episode, building capacity and building leadership and communities throughout Appalachia.
2: Yeah, it's a perfect segue into uh, our guest tonight. What a lineup you've got for us.
1: Yeah, I consider it a special episode. We have the directors from the state leadership programs of Kentucky, Tennessee, of Virginia, of West Virginia, and Ohio. Five individuals who are all leaders in their own right, but also lead the either the state leadership programs or the programs that are specific to Appalachia and their state.
2: I think that's a, a great time to, uh, to hook them into the call. and.
1: Yeah, let's get it started. On today's episode, we have Individuals from leadership programs from around Appalachia. I'm just going to introduce them and then we'll get started with the discussion. But we have Kathy Kate, the president of Leadership Tennessee. We have Pam Ferris, the executive director of Leadership West Virginia. We have Susan Horn, the president of Leadership Virginia. Mark Capone, the executive in residence of leading in Appalachia of Ohio. And Janice Way, the president of Leadership Kentucky. I know we have a lot of people on this episode. I want to thank you all for being on. We greatly appreciate it. Thank
3: you. Thank,
4: thank you. you. Happy to well, be nice here.
1: Just to get us started, my brother and I, we always start with this question. I'll ask each one of you, and if you want to be brief, since we have so many people on the call, uh, that's fine. My brother and I, like most Appalachians, are big on tradition. We are big on our family's big on tradition as well. And one of the traditions that we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We always have a huge spread of appetizers, usually bigger than the actual meal. So I wanted to ask each one of you, what's your favorite appetizer or holiday dish? Janice, can we start with you?
3: Wow. There's so many. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Uh, I think um, we love stuffing, um, turkey stuffing in our family. And also we have this, I don't know what other people call them, but for an appetizer, we have something called, we call hanky pankies. And it's a sausage and cheese combination with a lot of garlic and uh, everything that's bad for you. Oh, and no. um, you saute that and put it on some little pieces of rye bread and barely toast it a little. And, um, you know, about 50 of those will disappear in about five minutes in our family.
1: <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Pam, how about you?
5: So um, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the West Virginia pepperoni roll. You know, that got started
1: many, many years ago
5: um, when I guess in the coal industry, those miners would enter the mine with pepperoni rolls that were made because it was both protein and bread and it lasted. So um, I've kind of moved on from pepperoni rolls and I make a stromboli, which is very much like that. But my kids love it. My family loves it and it's what I take wherever I go for my ad to, to a meal. So
6: strong. Great
1: answer. We've had so many people on from West Virginia, and not one have said pepperoni rolls. So I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned it. Mark.
6: Oh, I just have to jump and jump in a second, Pam, because I'm even though I'm in Ohio right now, I was born and raised in Wheeling, West Virginia. So pepperoni rolls was going to be my, my top. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the other one, I'll jump to the main dish and it's hand loaf. My my beautiful wife is from Dayton, Ohio, and had no idea what ham loaf was till I took her to West Virginia for for Christmas, and she was like, what, "What are we eating?" I said, "Try it, you know, try it, you'll like it." And and now she's a ham loaf fan as well. So I'll I'll put pepperoni rolls and ham loaf on my top two.
1: Kathy.
0: It's not an appetizer um, and it's going to sound probably weird and not appetizing to anyone on this call, but we have a dish that has been handed down forever um, called scalloped oysters and um, we only have it at Thanksgiving and at Christmas and my my daughters now ask for it specifically, but it is um, very easy. It's um, butter, a lot of butter, and you have to use real butter um, saltine crackers um, you melt the butter crumble up the crackers make kind of a, a um, yummy buttery mix um, pour that into a into a dish and then top that with um, two pints of oysters you can cut those up so ate with all the juice and everything and then you fill the dish until the crackers float which is my grandmother's um, instructions um, with um, half and half or even heavy whipping cream if you want, and then you bake that. So it kind of makes a souffle. Right. I know that sounds really weird, um, but no. if you love oysters, it's great. And it is, it is the um, most decadent because you're using all that real butter and that um, cream. Um, but we have that at Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I don't know where actually, I found a recipe in a Southern living, um, years ago, that was very similar to it. So it came from somewhere. We did just make it up.
1: Nice. You can always indulge (laughs) at least once a year, right?
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: And and I have to say, you had me into oysters. That's
4: that's
1: (laughs) And uh, Susan, how about you? Yes.
4: Thank you. Um, well, I will, I will testify to the, the great, uh, recipe, uh, encyclopedia of Southern living over the years. Um, I have been a, a, a very vigilant reader of that magazine and those annual cookbooks. So, uh, mm-hmm. and have never found anything that was bad. Um, I would say roasted shrimp and certainly roast, roasted or fried oysters. Virginia has spent a great deal of effort over the last few years to ensure a healthy oyster population. Um, those have always been favorites in our family, roasted shrimp and roasted or, or fried oysters.
1: I love all those answers, and Thanksgiving is close. Maybe I can introduce some of those to, mm-hmm. our, to our appetizer spread. Yeah. Um, so now, since, like I said, since we have so many people on the call, I want to just dive right in. But as I mentioned, you all are either directors of state programs, which most of you are, specific programs that are specific to Appalachia, as Mark is with the leadership in Appalachia of Ohio. To that point, I wanted to ask each of you, obviously, since you're directors of leadership programs, I'm assuming you believe that you can teach or at least develop leadership rather than only having to be a born leader. So I guess that's the first part of the question. The next part is, what's the importance of leadership development to you and capacity building as your programs do? And I guess we can uh, just go across, if, if Janice, if you want to go first.
3: Sure. Well, um, I think leadership is a combination. I think some people do have some innate ability to be a leader. They have an opportunity to sway others' opinions, to always rise to the challenge. So I definitely think there is a, a portion of leadership that is, is born. I also think it can be developed and I think that's what we're in the business to do is take people who have some innate abilities and really cultivate that and help them realize their full potential. And I think it—you know we have multiple programs. I know some of the other um, statewide programs do as well, but especially with our young professionals programs, that's really what we want to do. We want to teach them some, some basics of good leadership that hopefully will be helpful to them for decades to come. We also try to bring in speakers that are more experienced professionals and and share some of the mistakes that they've made over the years and some of the wisdom that they've acquired over the years and share it with these young professionals. Um, So to give them a leg up, hopefully, um, in their journey of leadership and and leading in their communities. Um, So I do think it's a combination of both. Um, And as far as capacity building, especially with our uh, new Appalachian-oriented young professionals program, which we call Bright, What we really are trying to do is um, cultivate these wonderfully bright young professionals in the ARC counties of Kentucky. Um, To to be inspired with their creativity and their knowledge to stay in the region and be a part of positive change, not uh, go away to college and and never come back or um, to. You know, to think the grass is always greener somewhere else and move away. But the grass can be green where we are in Appalachia. We just have to have great, creative, young people that want to stay and be a part of the wonderful things that are happening here.
1: Great. Pam, you you want to?
5: Sure. Um, I just I, I thought what I'd, I'd start with by just saying what our um, mission is. And uh, Leadership was Virginia focuses on growing engaging and mobilizing leaders across the state to ignite that lifelong passion to move West Virginia forward. What I see on an annual basis when we have a leadership class of professionals is to get to that very core of passion. And um, I feel like it's our responsibility to move the state forward. I feel like it's our responsibility to be ambassadors for the state. And so that's what our focus is um, I, I I think some of us have more of a leadership way of doing things than others but my goodness you have to offer everyone the opportunity to develop that to be able to be influencers to be able to move things forward so um, again like Janice I, I think there's an opportunity to help everyone sometimes people are a little further ahead than others but that certainly helps the whole group as a whole
6: mark our program is a little unique we we are right in the heart of Appalachian, Ohio, uh, at Ohio University and and the resources that we have uh, to build public service leadership capacity in the region are um, provided through the state of Ohio, through the legislature and the office of the governor uh, with a lot of support from the governor's office of Appalachia. We've got this opportunity to build a public service leadership capacity in the region and hopefully do it in ways that that further the region and and take advantage of all the talent and capacity that's already there and maybe bringing it together. You know, when it comes to leadership, we, we, we really believe in authentic leadership. We, we really believe that you you aren't necessarily born, that you can be made. Uh, Bill George, uh, foremost uh, author on, on authentic leadership, says, you know what, it's about our life stories. It's about our experiences. It's about the values, uh, the personal values that we bring to what we do. It's about our ability to resonant, be resonant with others. So when we host a cohort, we don't try a cookie cutter approach. Well, you, you've been through a couple of them, and you can either nod your head and say, "Oh, well, that's what you were trying to do, Mark." I don't, you know, but but we're meeting folks where they are. We we've got cohort members who are uh, in positions anywhere from administrative assistants to elected mayors, and they're there because we believe they're leaders. And and just because they might have a title in one place doesn't mean they're not serving. Uh, The region in another capacity in another, you know, folks are obviously involved in myriad uh, volunteer efforts, uh, coalitions, nonprofits that that aren't necessarily coming with a title. So we really believe in meeting folks where they are in their leadership journey and providing them perspective. Uh, Some pools. We always want to leave folks at the end of every session when we do our six-month cohort sessions. We want to have uh, them be able to walk away and go, oh, I'm going to go back today and put something to use where I serve. And, you know, that's the short-term effect. And then hopefully over time, the long-term effect, we've, we've got perspective shifts because Senior leaders that have been around for 20, 30, 40 years are now hearing something from a community member that's a little different than what they've been exposed to and what they've experienced. And it just causes them to pause They maybe imagine how they might lead a little differently. So that's where we start seeing the capacity building. I call it the ripple effect. There's some research behind it. You know, when one cohort member goes back into their community um, and starts kind of maybe Demonstrating some of the things that they're they're growing and learning from, it, it creates that ripple effect in the community, and, and certainly that diversity of perspective uh, as folks really start to connect and collaborate in the region.
1: Thanks, Mark, and yeah, I, I can speak to the uh, great programming, ha- having been through a couple cohorts with with your with your program, Kathy.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, so I just want to kind of repeat a little bit of what Janice said. We we do have two programs. Um, one is an emerging leaders um, program where we do a little bit more of that leadership development because those are young, mostly younger, early to mid career professionals that. Um, maybe have not had the opportunity to really think about the personal leadership development um, as they have kind of moved up in their career. Then we also have our signature program, which is what we started with. And we don't really, um, we don't look at that as a, an opportunity to develop leaders. We are bringing um, already what very well-developed leaders um, at the top of their career tra- trajectory in whatever um, capacity that looks like um, or whatever um, profession that may be. Um, and, and what we see as our mission is really developing the network of leaders who are committed to collaborative dialogue. And as Susan and um, Janice know, when you've got, when you live in a really long state, um, you've got a, a variety, um, a, a real diversity of um, opinion and thought. Um, And geography. So, you know, only our eastern third of our state is considered Appalachia. But as you said at the beginning, Will, you know, being able to develop and really focus on the success of the Appalachian region create success for all of Tennessee um, and so that's that's what we do and, and we may not you know we, we, we want to make sure that our our cohorts consist of a, a diversity of members mm-hmm. so we're pulling from all regions and all geography and the idea is that we want an, a leader in Memphis to see an issue in northeast Tennessee and say you know what that issue is exactly what we're facing in Memphis. Um, we're doing it a little differently, but what can I learn from how they're approaching this in Bristol um, and, and take that back to Memphis? And um, we've had those aha light bulb moments, and it's just magical um, when when you when you see that happen. Um, and so that's, I think that's really more of what our development um, is about. It's that network of, of um, committed
1: leaders across our state.
4: And Susan? Yes, thank you. Um, LEAD Virginia's mission is connecting leaders to shape Virginia's future. Um, We are not a leadership development program. Uh, We don't offer the capacity building aspect of it, but what we do is we bring people who are influencers in their respective fields, whether it be higher education, um, uh, private sector, public sector, the governor's office, state and local government, from the office towers of Northern Virginia to the coal fields of Southwest Virginia, to the shipyards of Hampton Roads, and to the higher education corridor of the Shenandoah Valley. We bring people together from all of those different communities for every one of our class cohorts. And as you've heard from, um, from my colleagues here, It's really about helping people unfold for them what the true issues are, what the assets of these various communities are, and what opportunities there are to work together. And I'll give you an example um, of a recent trip. We just had our class down in Southwest Virginia in Bristol, and they had an opportunity for the local people, the people from far Southwest Virginia to begin to see their home region through the eyes of their classmates, who many of whom had not been there or if they had, it was just a flyby on the interstate, right? They had not had an opportunity to really uncover the richness and um, the, the culture, the, the economic transition going on in far Southwest. It was very heartwarming to see the impact on them as they began to understand their community in, in in deeper ways through the eyes of their classmates. And they began to see the hope and the aspiration and the innovation at work. It was awesome. I will say it was awesome. Very touching.
1: Those were such great answers. You kind of answered half the questions that I had today in that, in that one answer, but I'm glad that Janice kind of uh, touched on the bright program and that Mark, uh, and and a lot of you touched on the importance of of building a strong Appalachia. A stronger Appalachia makes for a stronger state in in all of your states, especially in West Virginia, considering it's 100% Appalachian. (laughs) To that point, my brother and I, we've talked about on several episodes, downtown development or revitalizations and how leadership often plays kind of the biggest part in what works in those communities so i wanted to ask you and and a lot of you are have already touched on this but what are the expectations of the cohorts that you build or you bring together that graduate of what they take back to their communities and i'll let anyone just jump in if you want to if you want to answer this question but you know what are your what, what do you hope to develop and what are your expectations when they're going back to their communities and becoming those leaders especially those youth leadership programs, what do you hope that they take back to their communities?
3: Jump in on that. I wanted to follow up with something that Kathy said earlier about perspective. And, you know, we are a very long state, Kentucky is, and we have all kinds of people, especially with our core leadership program, the one that's been around for 37 years. And um, to Susan's point, it's more of a connection. Mm -hmm. It's not so much a capacity building because they're already leaders in their communities, but it's perspective. We had a situation a few years ago where somebody from Western Kentucky through the first two or three sessions of the year had said, you know, I just really don't understand why they spend all of that money on roads in Eastern Kentucky. It's like the road to nowhere, which (laughs) I had to bite my tongue because that (laughs) definitely offended me as an Eastern Kentuckian, but I knew that we were going to be going to Pikeville in a month or two and his eyes would be opened. And indeed that's what happened because You know, he wasn't rude about his initial comment, but he was just that was the perspective of somebody from Eastern or Western Kentucky that has a lot of flat land. So he drove over to Pikeville where they're starting to do work on the mountain parkway uh, at that time. And we got to Pikeville and he said, okay, folks, I stand corrected and I apologize for my earlier (laughs) statements. I understand why it takes so much money to build a road in Eastern Kentucky now with the mountains and the winding roads and that sort of thing. So if nothing else came from that one cohort for that man from Western Kentucky. It was the perspective that he gained on what Eastern Kentucky is. Um, They had not been, many of them had never been there before and their eyes are opened and they learned so much perspective about the state because, you know, a whole is only as good as the sum of its parts. And if it's good for one part of the state, then it will trickle down to the rest of the state. So what we try to really encourage in our cohorts is You know, pull for each part of the state. You know, if an economic development project comes in, A part of the state that's not your part of the state will be glad it's in the state. Um, So what we really try to do is talk more about collaboration and support of each other and um, our reputation as a whole as the state of Kentucky, the Commonwealth of Kentucky, as we call it. But we we really try to talk a lot about um, how to be successful. And you were talking about downtown revitalization or whatever. We had a speaker this year that did uh, a lot of research over the COVID times when he's class, he's a college professor and, you know, his classes were somewhat changed, I guess. And he, he did a lot of research on what makes communities thrive. And I thought this was very interesting. And and a lot of these were Appalachian areas that he um, did his research in. And he said, the ones that are thriving are the ones where young professionals and the older experienced Uh, leaders with wisdom were working together. It wasn't in the areas where the old guard did not want to embrace the young professionals, nor where the young professionals wanted to just get rid of the old folks so they could take over. But when they really embraced each other and the experience of, of the older generation and the, the uh, creativity and the excitement and the energy of the younger generation worked together. And those were the communities that were thriving. I thought that was very interesting research that he did.
1: That's a that's a, such an excellent point and, and valid. I, I can see that. Does anybody else want to jump in on this answer?
5: Well, I'd like to um, just note that we're, we're celebrating 30 years of Leadership West Virginia. And in each... Great our sessions, we have, we have three components. One component is the topic that we study. It could be uh, we're coming up on our government session. We just had um, our healthcare session, economic development, tourism, and so on. So we have a topic that's important and we focus our trainings and our speakers um, during that session on that topic. Um, a second thing is we provide some professional development like you all and uh, the other groups do with the younger um, cohorts that you have in your programs. We bring in a a trainer to help um, with some of the top topics on um, professional development. But probably one of the the best yet, it just happens to be one of the best parts of the session is that we travel around the state as the others do. And and we're in a different community every month. And because of our Appalachian background, our culture, our history, our kindness, our pride as, as West Virginians, that community just opens their doors to the 50 leaders from around the state to be there, to be there for two days. Um, I mean, they pull out the red carpet when we're there. And our, our class goes away with a truly different feeling about our state as a whole and what opportunities are in each of those locations and why we wanna go back and why we wanna bring our families and why we know it's important to include the state as a whole when we're making decisions going forward. So um, it is important that we give each of those communities an opportunity to share and shine for the rest of, of the folks in our classes.
0: I was just I was just going to add, Will, I'm sorry. I, I, sure. One of the things I be really unspoken and spoken that we ask of our cohorts is to um, co into every community or situation or topic or discussion with an open mind about where, um, you see opportunities for collaboration because I, I, always, I always use that example of the the Memphis, you know, um, healthcare leader seeing um, examples of um, uh, education in a rural northeast um, Tennessee um, school, elementary school, and um, looking for ways to collaborate, uh, you know, across the state. Um, the other thing we we do is. Make sure that you make the commitment to make the drive. Very rarely do um, people from West Tennessee um, need to or have the opportunity to travel all the way across the state. A lot of times people think, you know, Tennessee stops at Nashville from whichever direction you're going, (laughs) and they think East Tennessee is Knoxville when there's another 200 miles of Tennessee still to to travel, and so, you know, make that drive, and you would be surprised, so surprised, um, maybe, that um, how many of our leaders um, in all parts of the state have never made that drive up to Northeast Tennessee, Um, and they find it beautiful, they find it um, you know, long, of course, if you're driving from Memphis to, to Bristol, it's, I think, eight hours, if not more. I think that just people coming into our program just have to be open to those experiences and understand, again, that um, success in any part of the state is going to mean success for the entire state.
4: Well, can yes. I share something? Yeah,
2: but please there,
4: there are a lot of commonalities between our programs, and there are, there are a lot of distinctive differences, too. Lead Virginia has, ever since our beginning in 2005, had three curriculum themes that we build into every one of our regional sessions as we travel around uh, the state, the Commonwealth. And those those themes are economy, education, and health. So as you begin to understand what's happening in the economy, say or in healthcare delivery in one region, you're seeing that in play in another region, uh, whether it be an urban, very urban, suburban region or a very rural region, and you begin to you begin to grasp that um, the the uh, challenges are very similar as you travel around the Commonwealth, but the scale is very different. The scale is, is different. When you are traveling down Interstate 81, a lot of people think that Southwest Virginia ends in Blacksburg at Virginia Tech. And we said, oh no, there's a lot more Virginia beyond that. And then um, when you understand that as as Kathy and Janice have pointed out, the the, um, the length of your state and how far apart things are you begin to really understand the sacrifice that people who live in Wise County, Virginia, make to go to Richmond or to Northern Virginia or to Hampton Roads for a session and to to really understand what's happening in in those communities too. And when you travel through the tunnels that link parts of Virginia with Hampton Roads or bridges and tunnels, you begin to appreciate why transportation is a really important issue their own quality of life and also their opportunities for economic development
1: to the points that a few of you had made especially on the similarities or your programming you know not having one location but traveling around the state to to let others experience those differences those similarities a lot of the times well one of the other reasons why we started this podcast is i've lived in larger cities i work in larger cities throughout the country and And I see so many similarities with those cities in Appalachia rather than differences. People don't realize that, but there are so many more similarities than there are differences. And to a couple of your points, you know, it's important for these places to see others and to see where they are and to see how they interact. How do you develop your cohorts and do you put an emphasis on diversity and diversifying your cohorts? Do you diversify in regards to geography and in regards to the individual and in, in regards to the public and private sector? How important is that to your program? And how effective is that for building capacity or building
6: leadership? Well, I'm gonna jump in and offer what might be a kind of a different perspective because um, you know, as I listen, as I listen and learn from uh, the the leaders of these other programs, you know, Pam, you're celebrating 30 years. We just did a high five on our second year uh, with meeting in Appalachia, and, and and oh by the way, you know uh, although Will your first year cohort was was originally planned to be in person, we were going to kick off in late March, you know, so of of twenty of, of the pandemic year. So so we've done everything for the last two years online, and we've learned a lot of things. And when it comes to your question on diversity, what what we've learned is there was a silver lining in our ability. To bring people together in a virtual environment where we would have probably in the past initially hosted our cohort at the university in Athens, Ohio. Um, that, that very often led to folks within a certain, and the listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a circle around the imaginary city of Athens. It, it drew it drew participants from within, you know, a certain mileage radius of the campus And we never really had quite figured out how to reach into the depths of the 32 counties in Appalachian, Ohio. Well, you know, here we go into the pandemic and what we have are participants from over in the Cincinnati region of Appalachian, Ohio, all the way up in closer to Lake Erie. And what we're learning is, to your point, Will, there's not a lot different. It's just, as Susan said, maybe scale or complexity, but what's coming out of it is this realization that all our issues are the same, and what we're getting as feedback is, wow, okay, as I'm listening to to perspectives from all over the state, all over the Appalachian region, like, how can we get this up to the 30,000-foot level and start working together on things that are common amongst us, and that's where the opportunity to grow and and, um, reap the rewards of the diversity of our cohorts has helped, because, you know, suddenly, broadband's an issue for all of us, it's, it's impacting um, our ed, the education of our children. It's impacting our healthcare. We've all got these issues. So what we're now getting, uh, hearing strong as feedback is, wow, now that we're being introduced to all the different perspectives that, uh, around the Appalachian region in Ohio, and now that we see that we're all kind of trying to get to the same place, hey, hey, Mark, what is it leading in Appalachian can do to help us coalesce around these issues together? and to work together toward common solutions. And that's what we're hearing loud and clear. As we enter our third year, what we're really trying to get to is how, how can we help? How can we help do that? How can we bring folks from different communities together and, and help them build um, capacity by coalescing their messaging, uh, their advocacy work, whatever they're trying to accomplish as one voice. And we've got some thoughts on how to do that. I think you know, the future for us looks like this. I, I think we might go to a hybrid model. We don't, unlike many of the state programs where, where you move from community to community, we're very cognizant. Of, there's a lot of leadership X programs in the region. Na- name a city, name a region. And we wanna be very uh, respectful of, of those programs and not duplicate and not kind of step into, into our, somebody else's backyard, if you will. So I think we'll kind of keep going the way we are, but we'll probably do a hybrid approach where we'll have a kickoff session on month one with everybody in person and ask them to come from all over the region together and be there together in person and get to know one another. And then we'll do some virtual sessions and then we'll bring them back together as a capstone at the end to capitalize on this silver lining of technology and what it's meant for us to be able to bring in folks from all across a 32 county region. Now, moving forward, we really want to focus on alumni events and I'm curious to learn and listen uh, from from the leaders on, on this this, in this conversation, what, what y'all are doing with your alums? Because what we're realizing is it's, it's that ripple effect thing. And every year we have 20 or 30 spark plugs, uh, a colleague of mine down in Mississippi calls them spark plugs, people who are going back out to their communities to take take their um, take their work and put it to, to higher use. How can we grow alums of leading in Appalachia cohort members who can work together in the future? And that's what we're looking forward to. After we get these one-year cohorts, first-year cohorts done is how can we have alumni events where we've got now we're able to introduce cohort after cohort after cohort to one another and keep working toward achieving those common goals?
5: Well, we know that um, a variety of voices are needed um, and are important. So uh, diversity is, is very important to the selection of our class. So geography, careers, ethnicity, I mean, all of that is so important to the point that when we get our application base and we need to make decisions as a a committee of our board to select a class, we make sure that we have a diverse class. And unfortunately, we have to say no to several people, um, especially from our heavier populated areas of North Central West Virginia, the Morgantown area, Charleston and so on. Um, So it's almost more competitive in those locations (laughs) class than it is from um, some of the rural areas of the state. Um, And just this year, we are 55 counties in the state. We've been around for 30 years. And now for 2022, we have our first applicant from the last county not represented in our um, alumni base. Uh, So, um, and, and this current class has developed and collected enough money to give a scholarship to that individual to come through the program, if they get accepted, which of course, they still have to go through the application process. So, um, yeah, it, it's really important to us because, again, as the state as a whole, that's what we're looking at. Appalachia as a whole, our state. So we want that wide, diverse um, population in our
0: in our program each year.
2: It's great. Any- I'm
0: glad to hear you say, Pam, that you're just now getting hitting that that point because that has been the, the biggest challenge for us. And we're only nine years old. So, um, but at the very beginning of our existence, you know, hitting those rural communities, just you know just helping people understand what we even were doing was, was difficult. So we're getting more um, representation from those rural communities, but we've got 95 counties in Tennessee. We're not going to hit every county. So what we've done is divided um, our, our geography into our nine economic development districts. So we make sure that we're hitting those economic development districts um, when our cohorts are created. Um, but you know, I, I would imagine that each one of you would say that diversity question is the hardest part because you want to hit geography, you want to hit professional sector, you want to hit age, you want to hit ethnicity and race, all that. And it's, it's just hard. Um, but it's, it's the number one um, question when, when our selection committee meets um, is how do we create a diverse and representative cohort for, for each year?
3: Kathy, I'll offer you a little um, encouragement on that. You know, Leadership Kentucky is in its 37th year, as I mentioned earlier. We have 120 counties in Kentucky. Go figure. But nevertheless, (laughs) that's also a subject of many of our discussions in Leadership Kentucky. But we are down to three counties now. You know, we've worked very diligently. And Pam, as you said, several years ago, uh, one of the classes created a scholarship, raised money and created a scholarship. And that's helped uh, narrow it down from, I think it was 24 at the time in 2009. And so now we're down to, to only three counties, but, but it's, it's so true. It's, it's looking at the regions and uh, we recruit um, if we, we watch the applications come in. And if we see that we don't have enough in a certain geographic region or a certain um diversity, whether it's occupation, we don't have enough nonprofits, we don't have enough of this group, we don't have enough ethnic diversity, whatever it is, we reach out we have to your question mark earlier about alumni. um, We have regional councils, so we've broken our state into seven regions. And we have leaders in each of those regions that we reach out to, plus of course our board. And we'll, we'll say, you know, we only have five applications right now from this region, um, who might you suggest? Who can we reach out to or can you reach out to, you know, to them on our behalf? Because as, as we've all said, that's what makes a rich class is diversity in all of its forms, because that's how we learn and that's how we understand more.
1: That's great. Quickly, kind of to that point, I, I'm going to let you all just let our listeners know just kind of the nuts and bolts of how they can apply for your program. So if they're out there, if they're listening to this, if they would like to apply, just how do they apply? And then on top of that, can, and kind of to Mark's point or to Mark's question, how do you develop your networks even beyond after they graduate from the program, how do you continue to develop those networks and connect those individuals, which I'm hearing is is almost the most important part of your programs is building those networks and allowing those individuals to connect. So one, just for the listeners, how can they apply? And then two, how how do you continue to build those networks?
4: Our application process is actually open now uh, for our class of 2022. Um, our class will get underway in April and it will conclude in November next year. Our applications are online and the class schedule is online because that's the first thing people have to do is before they apply is check and make sure they can actually commit themselves because the commitment of time is crucial really to getting the most out of these programs. So our, our uh, website is leadvirginia.org and it explains everything. It includes information about scholarships. We have a a very generous pay it forward class gift that's given to LEAD Virginia every year from the graduating class to support scholarships and program for the following year. We have alumni in each of the regions, maybe not quite as organized as Janice is, but we've got alumni groups in each of the regions that help help work with us on the respective Program curriculum for that region. Um, They work with us on recruiting. They help us in planning our alumni events. We just held an alumni summit. We took a pause during COVID. Uh, As many of us did, we took a pause for uh, some of the in-person activities we were doing with alumni and started doing some virtual things. And just about two weeks ago, held our first in-person alumni event where We had brought in some guest speakers who shared stories of exemplars of leadership in Virginia's history that don't necessarily always make the history books. Um, We also had a number of our alumni share their social capital impact stories because we operate around the theory, um, our program around the theory of social capital. And they shared a lot of very moving and inspirational stories of the work that they are doing Um, In the Commonwealth, um, in in other parts of the world even, um, taking that idea, that concept of social capital and making it real in the work that they're doing. We also have conversations with leaders events that for the past year and a half have been virtual. Um, They are opportunities to bring in guest speakers to talk about where is Virginia's economy in the midst of a pandemic. We did this about a year ago. Uh, We've got one coming up next month on a post-election recap, because as you all know, we uh, just had an important gubernatorial election. So those are the ways that we help our alumni connect and engage them as we construct a curriculum for the following year's class. Um, We are
5: actually, as well in West Virginia, um, going through our application process. The deadline is November 15th. Um, so um, a, a, an individual will be nominated and then they will fill out an application online, much like what Susan said. We have a committee of board members that will select the class and we will begin, um, we, we host a fundraising event um, in January. We will announce our class at that point and it's following the governor's state of the state address. So we have a lot of our community out and celebrating um, the beginning of the legislative session, but also, you know, the new class of leadership. We will start next year, a little different. COVID has taught us some things. We've made some adjustments. We'll start in May and we'll go through November. So we'll have seven sessions, Um, select about a class of 50. And um, we are now at close to 1500 alumni. So Mark, it builds, you know, year after year after year. And again, we engage those alumni throughout the year um, to help support the new class, to help support leadership in an annual giving capacity, and to celebrate um, going forward. But we we tap into our alumni all across the state for different things. Um, So, uh, you know, that the class that's getting ready to graduate now, next week, or next month, or this month, I should say, they're excited, and they don't want to leave, and they want to spend more time together, and they're so I mean, they're hot, they're hot for the state, right? They're hot um, uh, to celebrate. And we all know we go back to reality and life afterwards. So again, there's there are things that we need to do to entice our alumni
3: and to invite our alumni to be a, an important part of the state and moving it forward. Uh, with Leadership Kentucky, we have four programs now. Our flagship Leadership Kentucky program that uh, I mentioned earlier is in its 37th year. We will start application process for that in January, but you can email us at any time at at leadershipky.org. or if you just Google Leadership Kentucky, it pops up. Uh, but on our website also is a nomination form. So you can nominate yourself or you can nominate someone else all year long. And then when the application opens up, we send them all the application information of all the names that we have. Um, But for the leadership program, you have to be nominated by someone. As I said, you can self-nominate, but it's not like the application is live on our website. We have three other programs, the BRIGHT program, which I have referred to a few times, that's the Young Professionals for Eastern Kentucky ARC counties. And that program is going on right now. In fact, they graduate in a couple of weeks and we'll start the application process for that probably in um, February, late February. But here again, you can email us at any time and put your name on the list or put somebody else's name on the list. And then when that application opens, here again, we'll contact you. Um, Elevate is our young professionals program for people from throughout Kentucky. And uh, those applications are actually open right now. And that one is live on our website. So you can just go to the Leadership Kentucky website and apply for the Elevate program. And we have another uh, program. It's just a one day, uh, but it's fabulous. It's for um new executives to Kentucky. So uh, you moved here from Oklahoma and you're going to be the market president of a bank, for example, Uh, but you don't know a whole lot about Kentucky yet. So it's a one day program that you can sign up for, there's no application for that. And we bring you to Frankfurt and in one day you learn a a great overview of the culture and the politics of Kentucky. So that one we just need to hear again, send us an email, lky at leadershipky.org. And it's really easy to connect. That goes directly to a a email box and uh, we get back with you very quickly on how to apply for all of these programs. And as for connecting, we have about 2,000 alums now uh, with all of these programs over the years. And I mentioned the regional councils earlier. Um, That's a great way to get to know other leadership grads in your communities. Uh, So we highly encourage that. And hopefully we're coming out of the pandemic now and we can get back to more programming there. Uh, Most each of the classes develop their own uh, private Facebook group so that they can communicate with each other. Um, we have an annual luncheon every year. And because it's such a wide state, uh, not everybody gets to come, but we usually have you know, 250, 300 people there. And then we try to have reunions of the classes when we're in the various communities, traveling with our programs. We invite alums to come to receptions and, and that kind of thing. But you know, we have found, especially with the younger professionals groups, they reach out and ask each other questions all year long. Uh, you know, I'm having this situation happening in my community. People want to stay in touch. You know, we offer them some ways to do it, and then they pick up a lot of ways on their own.
1: That's great, Jance. You have such developed programs. But uh, Mark and Kathy, do you want to add?
3: Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'm
0: glad to. I um, We are also in that we Provide a rolling admissions type of program. So we are accepting nominations for class nine until March 15th of 2022. Um, we have a two part um, selection process for our signature program. So once all of those nominations come in um, on March 16th, um, class nine nominations will close and class 10 nominations will open. So it just continues. Um, But our selection committee, which is anonymous, will um, meet and go through all of those nominations and basically call that list down um, with some pretty superficial information. It's, you know, location and title and that kind of stuff. They will call that list to about half. We typically have about 400 nominations each year. So we will send then about 200 invitations to apply. Um, and then we'll get those applications in, and by June of 2022, Class 9 will be selected and um, announced, and they'll start in August, and so we run August to June um, for our cohorts, um, seven sessions over that time frame. Our signature, or our um, LT Next, which is our Emerging Leaders Program, does, um, we have two cohorts per year for that, Um, and so um, Class four is um, in the middle of selection right now. They'll start in February and finish in June. And then nominations will open sometime in the spring for class five, which will be next fall of of 22. Um, As far as alumni go, prior to March 2020, um, we were really good about um, hosting alumni receptions, inviting our alumni to um, opening um, and welcome dinners when we were in a region and everyone was very, keen to participate in that. Um, Since we started back in person in August um, after taking a year um, hiatus and and doing everything virtually, um, we have not been able to invite um, large numbers into any spaces just yet. we're hoping that in january we'll be able to kind of ramp all of that back up and we had um you know that's the fun part of it you know the the let's come and have have a cocktail reception with the class and, and and hang out with your friends from other classes um we also though want um there to be a more serious side and so we had had actually the plans were pretty much in place for us to be doing a road tour in may of 2020 which again got um canceled and we were going to be hosting Um, conversations of significance in um, five different regions of the state and our alumni would um, be part of that and it was it was all based on actually Brian Etheridge um, gave us the idea um, from North Carolina um, gave us the idea for the living room conversations which is a a formatted um, uh, facilitated conversation on topics that we tend to um, have disagreements about and it's a way to make sure everyone is heard and everyone is um um, you know, feels like they've contributed in some way. And so we were hosting those with some of our colleges and universities um, around the state. Um, so that we're working on plans to um, to uh, reinstate that or initiate that in May Fair of idea. 22.
1: Mark?
6: Yep. Thanks, Will. And... and uh... We're, we're kind of a little less refined yet, but uh, what I'd encourage folks to do is go to our website. Um, there's, a, there's a kind of a lengthy university website, Will, I can drop it in the chat. Maybe you can post it on your uh, notes for your podcast. But if you Google Voinovich Academy, Ohio University, Uh, you'll you'll get to our splash page. Um, We are um, uh, named after, of course, the late Senator George Boinovich, who uh, was a mayor of Cleveland and and, um, later on built public-private partnerships as a senator and governor across the state. Boinovich Academy, Ohio University. Uh, There's a learn more link on our website, and we'll we'll, uh, open up the application process right at the turn of the new year for our spring 2022 cohort. Uh, we'll have a capacity for about 30 folks in that cohort, and all those instructions uh, will go out. Just make sure you're signed up to get our information. Uh, alternatively, if your listeners want to email gvacademy at ohio.edu, gvacademy at ohio.edu. I'll, I'll, I'll probably be the one that grabs that email and I'll be happy to talk to you one-on-one uh, about your interests in not only the leading an Appalachia program, but some of the other initiatives that we're moving forward with, hopefully as we are able to kind of come back in person a little bit more. We, we are encouraging uh, our alums and others to take part in some things like um, Lean Six Sigma Green Belt certification, which will congratulations, you're a Greenbelt now. Uh, we, Executive and leadership coaching. Uh, we have some um, International Coach Federation credentialed coaches that that um, are becoming more popular as as leaders. kind of want to sharpen the saw, if you will, one-on-one. So a lot of different initiatives, and as I mentioned earlier, uh, some some plans for some alumni events coming up, both virtually and in person, because we now see the value in maybe maybe running a session at the university or a branch campus, and then running something maybe not exactly the same, but very similar virtually, just so folks throughout our 32-county region can take part in it. Um, Best thing to do, Go back to go back to Google and the Voinabich Academy. I'll sign up to learn more. Put your info in to learn more. Thanks.
1: Yeah, great. First, first you have to figure out how to spell Vuanovich. Not, not an easy task. <laughs> I wanted to ask this question. Maybe one person can speak for the group. Um, just briefly. I know we're are coming close to running out of time, but I had a few more questions if if you all will indulge me. You know, we spoke about a unified Appalachia in the beginning. Uh, a lot of the times people are confused by Appalachia. A lot of times we've spoken in previous episodes that Appalachia is kind of the stepchild of the South or or considered. To to that point, is Appalachia Northern? Is Appalachia Southern? Is it rural? Is it urban? Well, the answer to that is yes. You you know, it's, it's all of these. So a unified Appalachia, a unified region makes for a stronger Appalachia and, and as, as you all have spoken, you, you know, it's important to build networks, but I feel like it's also important for your programs to network with each other to learn from each other. Can maybe one of you speak to that of how you share information, how you have your own network within your own state uh, programs or amongst each other does one of you just want to speak briefly on that.
5: Wow, I've been in this position for 16 years, and 15 years ago I started attending our um, state directors or state presidents program conference on a yearly basis. Um, we meet annually. Of course, we all removed that year of COVID when we did it virtually, um, but we meet annually as a group, um, and not just not just those of us on this call and this this podcast but from all over the the country. So California is a big part of it and and Florida and Michigan and New Jersey um, and and so on. So the state directors um, will meet, will gather, will brainstorm, will share. One of us each hosts the event in in our own state. Um, So we get to see the community of our other states. Um, But talk about diversity when you pull in some of those large Growing states like California, right, and like Alabama um, and Florida, and the programs that they have to offer, offer, and yet the experience. I think the most important thing is we share experience. We 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 tell it like it is. What works? What doesn't? How do you fundraise? How do you, how do you how do you make your program better every year? How 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 does that work? So um, we like each other.
0: We hunt <laughs> it
5: together. I mean, we learned a lot during this pandemic. We made major adjustments. Um, It was difficult. We all feel that. And and now we're gonna keep on moving forward. So we'll we'll be back together again soon and continue this this, um, network of state leaders, network of leaders across the country to bring these programs to our, our population, our people.
1: That's great. Thank you, uh, Pam, for adding. And just just to mention, I will include all of your programs within the show notes. So if if, if everyone can have the information if they want to uh, reach out or if they also want to think about uh, applying for your programs. So I had a couple of rapid fire questions, just two. And then I have a final question for everyone. If you're okay with that, you know, you spoke about the diversity of the programs. You, you spoke spoke about the diversity of the cohorts. But even all of you, 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 you know, you, you have di- in different backgrounds. You come from different backgrounds to lead the programs. But I think one thing that each of you have in common is that you're excellent leaders. Obviously, you're in a position to direct the leadership programs. But that, I think that makes you a leader within your own right. And so to that point, and as a rapid fire question, just briefly for everyone, when you think of leadership, who do you think of? What one person do you think of?
6: Well, I've been asked this before and it just comes right to mind, it's my grandfather. It's, it's my grandfather on my mom's side. Uh, school teacher in Cameron, West Virginia, they still don't have a stoplight. Uh, taught physics and chemistry for 40 years, ran a farm, served as church, ran 4-H programs, And never said a word. It seemed like he was the quietest guy I ever knew, but he led everywhere through his actions and through his character. And so I'll just say, it's my grandpa.
1: That's awesome. I love that humble Appalachian attitude, which is seen throughout Appalachia. Anyone else?
5: I would say um, a mentor of mine, her name is Anna Daly. She's an attorney here in um, Charleston in West Virginia. She is all about helping people like me and others Bring out the best in ourselves, bring out the leadership traits and skills that are needed to go forward. So it's not about Anna Daly, it's about Pam Ferris um, because of her leadership skills.
2: Perfect.
4: Well, I will say um, many of my board chairs over the years have been inspirational to me and supportive and encouraging to me. However, when I think back in my in my growing up years, it's really my dad. I grew up on a dairy farm in a wide place in the road in Texas. And my dad, in in spite of the demands of running his own farm, um, started the local 4-H club, uh, served on our local school board. And so he modeled for me the, um, the importance of stepping up and being a leader in your community, however big it may be.
1: Great answer. Community leadership is so important, which is obvious from your programs.
3: Um, I'll add this. Uh, I don't know about one person in particular. I feel like I've been fortunate to know a lot of wonderful leaders over the years, Uh, many of which have been in our programs, most of which actually have been. But what I always say to the young professionals, uh, cohorts that we have is leaders, true leaders aren't always famous and famous people aren't always leaders. There's a lot of famous people that aren't very good leaders. And just because you're famous doesn't make you a good leader. Because there are, to the examples that we've heard here, you know, from Mark and Susan and Pam, they're not always famous people, but they're leaders and they're working every day to make their communities better. And I think that's a really important thing that we all remember. There are quiet leaders around us all the time making their their regions, their communities, better places, their families, better places, and, and, and communities to be a part of.
1: Great answer. Kathy?
0: Yeah, sure. I, um, my background is in higher ed, um, and when I started out um, as a graduate student um, at a small liberal arts college in East Tennessee, my first VP um, um, for student development um, was, is the mentor that I probably quote the most. She was a um, Um, A humble leader, um, honest and truthful leader, um, and created this sense of loyalty with her staff that I have tried to emulate um, over the the years. Um, So she would probably be the the one I point to, and then I'm I'm using two here, but um, our um, former governor, my husband, worked for him very closely, and um, he said one thing, one one time, I may have been in a state of the state address that that I attended, but um, Something about um, if you are trying to create your legacy, you're not really leading. Um, just do the good work, and your legacy will be created. I totally butchered that, but I try to live by that as well. So.
1: Great answer. Uh, another question, uh, I guess you could say rapid fire. What's what's one takeaway you hope an individual would gain from your program?
6: I'll make it quick. Everyone's a leader. It's it's within you. You just gotta bring it out and refine it and move forward in your leadership journey. Everyone, agree.
0: Our hope is that people, I'm sorry, Janice, um, is that people leave with a sense of pride about Tennessee. Um, you know, most of the people are um, not necessarily um, natives and um, we want to create that sense of pride so that we all create a great state.
3: And to that point, I would add perspective and respect for all all kinds of people and all kinds of ideas and ideas that are working that are different from maybe what you had thought about but perspective I think is
4: is key. I would agree with those things and I would also add just the common and shared future that we have um, that we're all we all have a, a responsibility we all share that mantle of responsibility and obligation to make our communities and our commonwealths and our states better and leave them in a, in a better place than we found them. So that's that, sh- that common, um, common heritage that we all have in the future.
5: And I echo Susan, it's our responsibility. You leave the program with responsibility to make a difference and to move the state forward. It's our own, it, we own it, it's ours.
1: That's great. Uh, I know we're running out of time, but one final question for everyone. Well, really I have two, but this, this could be the final, (laughs) the final one. What comes to mind when I say this word? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word Appalachia? Janice?
3: Community, pride. Um, They're just such great people in Appalachia and they would share the coat off their back and they always rise to the occasion to help each other. Pam? You know, kindness and um,
5: smart. We're smart. We, we we know what we want. We find a way to get it. Um, and we're a kind of people.
1: Great.
6: Mark? Home. Oh, that's the one word. Opportunity.
1: And Kathy?
4: Um, heritage and tradition.
1: Perfect. Susan?
4: I would say resilience and and community as well.
1: We got through that so quickly. Maybe I'll, I'll also... <laughs> I promise. I promise. This is the final question, but this is another question that we ask everyone, and so I wanted to include it. Uh, and this is an important part of our podcast. You know, we we ground our podcast on place and perspective, and so I wanted to ask you all: just where do you call home, and what makes it unique for you, Susan?
4: Okay, I mentioned I'm a native Texan, but I've lived in Virginia longer than I lived growing up in Texas because the U.S. Army took us everywhere. My husband's army career. Richmond, Virginia is home now. However, we lived in the Washington, D.C. area for many years. So Leesburg has a special place in my heart.
1: Kathy?
0: I am originally from East Tennessee, from a small town um, called Maryville, which is just on the um, edge of the state park, or the state park, this National Park, Smoky Mountains National Park. I live in Nashville now, um, and have lived there for about 11 years. Um, Today, I am back in East Tennessee, um, in Maryville, um, uh, for the... um, Passing of a very dear friend, and um, so this is an interesting place to be, and this is home to, for you to ask that question. I am home right now, and um, yes. it's yeah, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful part of the country.
6: Mark, yeah, I am going to speak heresy because I'm in Ohio, but but you've already heard that I'm from West Virginia. Uh, grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and uh, the army took me around the world and plunked me down in Ohio, and and that's home now. But but my grandfather's farm in Cameron, West Virginia, that I mentioned earlier is if there's a place that I go that makes my blood pressure just comes, come straight down and makes me feel at peace. It's, it's, it's on the, we call it the farm. That's what the family calls it. It's the farm. That's, that's home.
1: Nice. And
5: uh, home for me for the last um, 40 years, I've been in Charleston, West Virginia. So that is home, but I'm from Western PA and still have several family members there. So um, when I go back for that cooking and that, coffee sitting on the porch and um, spending great time with my sisters and brothers. Uh, It's Western Pennsylvania, but again, I've been here for 40 years. Charleston's a great place to live and raise children.
1: Great, and Janice?
3: Well, I grew up in eastern Kentucky in Pike County, and I lived in central Kentucky for a while, and in Lexington, and then for the last 30 years, I've lived in Northern Kentucky. So I think in general, I say Kentucky is my home. Um, and we travel, and it's like all of us, we travel so much throughout the state. It, it just feels like the whole state is home. Um, but, you know, growing up in Eastern Kentucky, I'll, I'll never forget those roots. Those I hold dear to me every day.
1: Thank you for indulging me, and I appreciate your answers. And those were perfect, and, and uh, it's always It's always nice to hear people's perspective or or what they think of as home. And and I also want to thank you all for being on this episode. I I promised you that was my last, last question. And so I I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Will. This
4: has been fun. This has been fun.
2: Kathy, Susan, Mark, and Janice just did an incredible job on highlighting, you know, their programs. And uh, I was, you know, I was just trying to take it all in, man. Great job of, uh, of keeping the interview going. And, and I know I was a little lacking in the questions department, but we had kind of already had it planned that for you to take the lead. So all was good, though, on my end.
1: Yeah, you know, it's such an important topic, especially for Appalachia, you know, building leaders, building capacity that really supports communities and community organizations. Like I said before, you know, these individuals are leaders in their own right and uh, what they do on a day to day basis and what they are doing to drive these programs to help individuals throughout their state, but also as we mentioned, you know throughout appalachia, a, a united and strong appalachia just makes every state within Appalachia that much stronger.
2: yeah it was really neat to see the different perspectives from each uh, region within Appalachia and also the similarities of of their their jobs, obviously similarities and throughout the region. So it was great to collaborate with all those people throughout a- appalachia.
1: Yeah, and I thought it was such an important point that the, the fact that, you know, not only do they work hard for their states, but they also are in contact with each other. And so um, they, they have that own network within Appalachia that they connect and, and they network and they help to drive the region, you know, even further.
2: Yeah, I feel like, I feel like Zoom has just been a great opportunity for those people over the last two years uh, to really collaborate even more. But anyway, I I really enjoyed uh, the episode. Grateful for their time, of course. As you as you mentioned, moving on, what do you have for me for uh, of place?
1: Yeah, now you know you know we've we've spoken before on previous episodes about how important it is to have the right leader in place, and I think this episode really makes that point even more apparent. I'm just glad that we could get all these individuals, all these leaders. In one place on one episode. It's obviously an important topic, but it's also important to see how they do it, how others can do it, and how we can continue to develop capacity and leadership throughout Appalachia. I just wanted to re- reiterate as we were talking, I thought it was an important point of how important it is to build networks through these leadership programs, building the networks, working together, sharing ideas, I think is one of the most, if not the most important part of a leadership program. And I also want to highlight recently, Invest Appalachia and Locust Impact Investing has partnered with the West Virginia Community Development Hub, and they have formed the Appalachian Investment Ecosystem Initiative. As part of that, they have started the Appalachian Investment Framer Action Cohort. And this cohort is a combination of leaders throughout communities in Central Appalachia, but it's in order to accelerate community investment throughout the region. I thought this is a perfect example of bringing leaders together from organizations to help accelerate investment, to to help communities throughout Central Appalachia build investment, work on projects. I just wanted to highlight that real quickly just to say you know there are these great initiatives out there, and the most important part is to bring these these people together to network, to share ideas, and to move the communities, the region forward.
2: Yep, yeah, well said. Uh, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head there, so I appreciate it.
1: All right, man. I guess we'll we'll wrap this episode. I, I feel like important episode up, and like I usually say, till next time.
2: Peace.
4: I'm
2: up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter. The air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grim. I've been in the city too long. Sidewalks and buildings and singing
4: sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong. In the mountains.